quite something to walk by hand sanitizer on your way to the altar. But this is where we are. Um, I'm going to stand down here because I prefer to. I hope that's all right. I, yeah. I have a microphone, so I think I get to do this. So here's the invitation for the second Sunday in Lent. Where might you be being invited to go for a wander in your life of faith in this Lent? Just think about it. It's an invitation. Abraham is invited to the ultimate wander, one that none of us want. Pick up your tent and your goats and your chickens and everything you own. Leave your responsibilities and the people that have loved you and follow me. It's the first story like that that we get in the text, and it's a painful one, isn't it? For some of us, it might be similar to our own stories. Many of us have stories like that where we needed to get up and go. It's part of our life. We hear that story in the news all the time, the people that had to get up and get out, right? I was just talking about that an hour ago, the people that would do anything to stay safely where they are but cannot find a way, so move up across the Americas towards this country. It happens all over the planet. Everywhere you go, there are people fleeing, trying to find themselves some kind of safety. What does it say about us as Christians and also for Jews? that the primary story of our ancestry in spirit, in faith, is the story of a wanderer, someone who leaves. Leaves a place where his people haven't been very long either. Right? His father was also a wanderer, is the story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, our great ancestor. We are the descendants of wanderers. If he had chosen to stay, and you know, I think Annie Dillard and others write about how maybe God was speaking to everyone in Ur at the time. Who knows? God is like that. Maybe Abram was the one that could hear or chose to hear. If he hadn't moved, we have no story. The story is that he gets up and he goes and he doesn't know where he's going. And he doesn't even know why. It just says that he goes. This is the story we all inherit. What does it mean that this is the primary story of our faith. It's so primary that Paul cites it in the Romans, right? When does Abram become Abraham? When he gets up and goes, when he leaves. He, becomes, he begins the journey in which he becomes the person who is the ancestor of these people in some way, by spirit or by flesh, it says. The primary story. You can probably tell a little bit of where I'm going and where I think that, what I think that might mean for us as settled people in a place that tells us that we can be settled and secure, that we can have what we want if we do things right, that we can be safe, we can be protected, we can be respectable, we can be respected, we can be good. We have a law, right? We have lots of law. Abram didn't have any. It's a different time. We have the law of our faith. We have the law of the land. But I think the invitation today is to imagine, actually, that we do not live by law, but by grace, it says. If you wonder what that means, and as we're not Lutherans, it's a tough one for us. The Lutherans are all about this. Right? I'm, I'm, I don't have any Lutheran heritage, so I struggle with this a lot. Um, grace. Faith and grace. Thank God for the gospel, or I really wouldn't know what to do with it, because couldn't you apply it to anything? Couldn't you say that every time you got up and wandered away, responsibility that you were acting in faith, that grace was going to pour down on you and fix that at some point, because that's how it works. Except that we have the story of Jesus, the one we follow. 
there are some boundaries. There's an outline of the life of faith for us. The challenge is actually, it's an outline. It is your life of faith. God bless you. It is yours. And if you don't actually actively engage it and search for it and test it and go for those wanders and put some things down, you don't get to have it. You can't live someone else's faith, can you? Some of us have tried. It doesn't work out. I can let you know. It's not how it goes. So in this season, your question for yourself is where are you being invited to pick up some of those tent stakes that seemed important, to take the things you need, and to follow God in faith a little bit? So in the gospel today, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. It's a great story. Um, when, when we have been more negative about how we think about who Jews are as Christians, we see Nicodemus as, as shameful or hiding or something like that. Nothing in the text says that. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and it actually sounds like they might know each other. It's the third chapter of John, so we're not very far in. Not much has happened in John yet, right? Really early on. I've been reading Matthew this year, so it's confusing to read John right now, but here we are. And he comes in the evening, and it's kind of, you've done this, you've had your dinner, and you might have had a drink, and you had a great conversation, and you go see a friend, you've done that, right? Probably did it more when you were younger, I did it in college a lot, I do it less now, I like to go to bed early, but you know that time when you, that time after, that really lovely moment after the day is done, and you want to talk to someone that loves you, right, that you care about, we have phones for that now, and other ways to do it, you don't go at night to talk to someone you don't like, Right? Or someone you don't trust. That's for the daytime, if you do it at all. <laughs> That's for work, right? This is the evening when things are beautiful and soft. And at that time, Nicodemus goes to Jesus. And I have a theory, unproven, but I have a theory that they knew each other. Because remember, Jesus goes to the temple early on. He is wise and knows the text. He must have talked to religious leaders as well as his mother and others, but he must have talked to people. Maybe they remembered each other from that time. Maybe Nicodemus was there. Maybe they were young together, or maybe Nicodemus was a teacher. Maybe Jesus made an impression, or maybe Nicodemus made an impression. But I suspect they knew each other, maybe not well, but they weren't complete strangers. And Nicodemus comes and asks the heavy questions of life. I see God in you. I see power in you. How can I have that? What is it? Help me to understand. I want a life like that, right? And I have to say, I wonder if that's the wandering I'm supposed to go on right now. I have met people. You have met people. You know, I don't know that I've ever had the courage to ask, but I've met people who are really... My experience of them is, I want to know what you know. How do you know that? Right? Where does that joy come from? Where does that passion come from? How do you always know the right thing and do it? How do you care so much for those that the rest of us are a little bit afraid of? Right? How do you love like that? How did you find that part of God in you that I can't find in myself yet? Isn't that the Christian journey, to be like Nicodemus? to face the people that offer us something of that kind of hope and actually have the courage to ask, how'd you do that, Lowell? How'd you become you, right? Isn't that the life? The mistake we make, I think, as Christians is to believe it's all inside. It is just for us to sort out individually that no one can understand us. 
that our suffering is so profound or so insignificant, that we are so insignificant, that it isn't worth the great dialogue of faith. Who is God among us now? Who might I be? Nicodemus asks, and maybe this is why we don't ask, because he got an answer. Whew. You must be born from above, born again. And he asks the right question, what are you talking about, right? And this is how you know it's a conversation between friends. That's a great conversation. What are you talking about? And we don't actually ever get a clear answer either. You know they had to have another conversation after that. But what a beautiful answer that to be present to God in our lives, and if we conflate this with Romans, to be present to God's grace, and Jesus says God's love. He says love over and over again, which is the language of the reformers in our church. To be present to God's love, to know God's love, you must be born again. Now that's been taken by one part of the church to be in a very particular thing, but let me tell you, don't let anyone take that language from you. That it's that profound to undo the powers and principalities and evil of this world that press upon you and every one of us and so many people around us, all of us, and to believe in God's love for you, to believe in the life that is yours, the community that is yours, is like being born again, starting again, in water and the spirit again, like birth itself, that radical, that different, Maybe that traumatic, that shocking, born from above. The language is so profound, and it is the life of faith. Abraham was born again. He was given a different name, left his family, and went God only knows where with everything he had. So thank God we don't have to be the patriarch of a people, as far as I know, none of us are called to that. We don't have to quite do that. But that is the challenge for us in this time. If you were to pick up everything and turn a little bit and go for a wander in your life of faith right now, whether that is personal or public, and I think it's both for many, many of us, in our public life, who can we be? Who can we be as a nation? I think we could use some being born again myself, right? Believing in ourselves better more, believing we could be covered in love and grace, that we have enough for wherever we're going and whoever comes to us. But to do that, as we do it, we also have to do it for ourselves as well. So no matter who you are, as we say in the church, and where you are, and how much you think you're all right, you know, and that it's harder for others, and you don't need to do this stuff for yourself, you know what, you deserve it. God's grace is for you. There is more life held for you. We get to be born again, and again, and again, and again, and we must. Apparently, this is what grace is, that God comes at us and wants you to have the life that you were created for. And when we do, when you and I do go on these wanders of faith, trust the communities that love us for our hardest questions, we get to be the people we are called to be the best of ourselves, and we keep trying, but also for those who come to us in need, needing help, needing advocacy, needing support, who frankly have faith in us that we might help, faith in our nation that we might care, faith in our justice system that it might do them right, for those that have so much faith because they must, 
can't we and shouldn't we at least try to have as much faith as we can of our own free will because God's grace, we know, comes for us at no cost. And it is not just our best efforts that, is, that are rewarded. It is our trying, right? It is our stepping forward in love. So I invite you this second week of Lent to consider going for a wander. I think there's some great people in this community that you could ask some of these hard questions to and remember and be reminded how much you are loved. Amen.